1: Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the things that we talk about on the show, go to the website, it's a terrific one, sands-trustee.com. Lots of frequently asked questions uh, that may answer some of your concerns. Or you can call 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation. Financial problems. We know often build up over time. But what about the debt that hits unexpectedly? And you also know from all the clients that you've seen over the years that that's the sometimes the thing that takes them out. It's not a, a chronic overspending, it's getting wham, hit with something that they had no way of being able to prepare for. And this segment is about the high stake debts you didn't see coming. And I think it's a really important segment. I'm so glad we're doing it.
2: Yeah, no, exactly, And You hit the the nail on the head there that a lot of people, they're doing just fine, they're getting along just fine, then something happens, right? And the big challenge here is we all should have this big emergency fund built up of, you know, six to nine months of fixed expenses that if something happens, you know, you lose your job, you get sick, maybe you split up, you've got some nest egg to carry you along, the challenge is just about everybody that I see and even my personal life, most people I know, uh, we're just getting by, you know, exactly. you're you're perched on the knife's edge. And as long as nothing happens, you're fine. But something that tips you a little bit and suddenly you fall off and things can be, can be very difficult.
1: Yeah. Cause that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing to be able to have that six to nine months put away. Yeah. Yeah. Very challenging. All right. So what are some of the ones that we don't see coming that are really big and important that we yeah, have th- to deal with.
2: There's one blinking light in my mind right now. Yeah. It's three letters, and they're very, very topical letters at almost all points of the year. Here is Canada Revenue Agency, CRA. Yeah. So CRA debt that you didn't see coming can rock your world in a very significant way. Um, you know, sometimes people just anticipate, well, I know I'm going to owe a little bit of money every April and they, and they plan for that a little bit. Um, but in some cases, you know, maybe your accountant made a mistake and maybe that accountant had made mistakes for several years and tried to deduct things that just weren't allowed. And suddenly CRA has reassessed you. Yes. Um, you know, maybe you took on an extra job last year and you didn't realize that that bumped you into a different tax bracket. You thought you were getting deducted enough, uh, but Sierra is going to hit you with a big bill and you don't know what to do with that.
1: And and it's a bill that has to be paid right now. Yeah. Like they owe you money. They <laughs> can take as long as they want to pay you and there's no interest gets to be charged. Yeah. You owe them money Interest gets charged, it's hefty, yep. and it's <laughs> never ending oh, until yeah. it gets paid.
2: Well, and there could be penalties on top of that. Absolutely. You know, there could be just basic penalties. There could even be gross negligence penalties. If this was something, if your accountant had made the mistake, you're still accountable to it. And depending on how egregious it was, you could owe multiples of the actual tax that was saved there. Yeah. Um, so with CRA, yeah, if you owe them money, if you don't pay it prior to April 30th, immediately there's a 5% hit of interest yeah. and then it's 1% per month. So not as bad as a credit card, um, but definitely still not you know not your prime bank rate at all. It it still can be a significant charge here. Yeah,
1: and no, and there's no negotiation attached with it.
2: Unless you're seeing a trustee to do a consumer proposal, right. no, you're not going to be able to make a deal with with CRA. Yeah. Um, you know, we sometimes find that, you know, people that have been newly self-employed, they get a big surprise after a couple of years too, um, because, you know, we can argue whether it should be this way or not, but there's no requirements for someone to be self-employed. You can literally open shop tomorrow, hang out a shingle, um, and no one really sits you down and explains to you, well, you might be building up a liability for GST if you're charging GST. You might be building up a liability for income tax, you know, if you're going to generate more than the very bare minimum of income in, in the country here. So, People can go for a period of years, um, you know, just saying, well, I'm not going to do any filings or whatever. I'm just going to focus on my business. And people do. And then I see them in my office when CRA has just decided, well, if you haven't filed your taxes for, say, three to five years, we're just going to look through your bank records. And we're going to assume that every dollar that went through your bank account was your gross income. Yeah. We're going to assume oh. you had no business expenses. And we're going to give you a tax bill based on that. Yeah. So. That's called an arbitrary assessment. Um, CRA can do it quite often, and the answer to it is file the darn returns, and then they'll adjust the numbers. But it's definitely, it's done to get your attention, and if you don't deal with it, CRA will take the next step, which can be seizing assets, seizing wages, you know, really m- giving you a tough time.
1: Wow. And and you're the one that's going to help me uh, deal with that too, right? Like at a, yep. a consumer proposal level, uh, to deal with the CRA, that's... that's- That's what you guys do.
2: That's what we do every day of the week. Yeah, Yeah. we we can generally make deals with CRA if someone's legitimately unable to pay the debt in full.
1: Okay, um, ICBC debt.
2: Yeah, so ICBC debt, you know, a little less prevalent than than CRA, but, you know, there could be a number of reasons. You know, as long as it's not a criminal basis, you know, drunk driving and someone got killed or something like that. Um, But, you know, if you were driving, you know, while suspended, or if you were driving as a new driver, you didn't have someone in the car with you, if you weren't in full compliance with L regulations, you know, if there's something that caused you to be slightly out of compliance, with ICBC and something happens, um, ICBC still pays out for the accident to whoever the other party is, but then you have to pay ICBC back. Mm-hmm. So I've seen people in my office, you know, 17, 18 years old, and they've got a $40,000 bill to ICBC because a small accident happened and, you know, they just weren't in full compliance with their L or with their N requirements.
1: Okay. So this isn't a fine being leveled by ICBC. Mm-hmm. This is your responsibility to them because you didn't yeah. uh, play by the rules and what you signed up
2: for. Yeah, essentially there's been some breach of the terms of your insurance. And if that happens, ICBC is well within their rights and they will do so, say, well, you are no longer covered. And whatever costs were accrued to that type of, a, of an accident, um, they try to recover that personally from the person. And because it's, you know, theoretically a government debt, not a MasterCard or Visa or something, there's no statute of limitations. You can't wait this out. Um, eventually ICBC will stop you being able to be licensed, stop you being able to insure a vehicle, uh, and then potentially take more steps to even start to seize wage or or garni- or seize assets as well.
1: It's always surprising uh, when people say, "Oh my gosh, I went to get a new my new license, and uh, I had to pay all my traffic fines or <laughs> yeah. all my traffic tickets," and they're just so shocked that these organizations, these uh, agencies, talk to one another.
2: Yeah, there there is a catch all there <laughs> at the end of the day. So yeah, it's pay now or pay later, and paying now is always cheaper, especially always, with tickets. Yeah,
1: always cheaper, always cheaper. Um, what kind of clawbacks? Mm -hmm. could I get or could one experience?
2: Yeah. So the clawback refers to, you know, if you're receiving government benefits and, you know, it could be OAS, it could be EI, I see quite a bit, or even disability benefits, um, but you're receiving these benefits based on a certain set of facts. And especially if it's EI, for example, the set of facts is that you are not working. Okay, So if you're receiving EI, um, and then you get a job, but you neglect to tell EI that you got a job, and for a period of time you receive EI and your employment income, uh, when the government eventually connects the dots, and they will, uh, when they eventually connect the dots, they're going to come to you and say, well, we need to claw back or take back uh, those benefits that were paid to you when you weren't entitled to them. Um, So. If that money has already been spent and if you've been, you know, living hand to mouth anyway and the money's not there to repay, well, then you can have a problem because, again, it's a government debt. They've got more power than anybody to collect and it could be a sizable amount, you know, especially if you started to work early on during EI benefits and, you know, just didn't tell the government. And, you know, not to say that that's a completely dishonest thing to do. Sometimes there's reasons for it. You know, a mother trying to support four children who's able to work a little bit but needs the EI benefits to make ends meet. Right. I wouldn't say she's done the wrong thing, but there will be some implications there that the government's going to come looking for that money.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a really good point. It's often, it's not the, the young, the young guy who's, who's collecting EI and then, you know, working here and working there and, and still ripping off the government. Those aren't the cases we're really talking about. It's the, Mm -hmm. it's the people whose backs are up against the wall and and they need the money and they need that money and they need the money, a little bit of money that they can make as well. Yeah. That's a good point. What else?
2: Well, life event debts are, are a big thing. So, you know, um, this is a case, you know, something happens in your life and there's financial implications. And the biggest one that I see is a relationship breakdown. Sure. So, you know, two big components that can really contribute to a financial problem. Um, you know, one is the idea of shared debt. So if you've incurred a bunch of debt together, you've got to deal with it. Um, if you've been married or cohabitating for more than two years, uh, if one person has incurred a bunch of the debt, they might have to, you know, try to hold the other partner accountable for it. So a you know, MasterCard or Visa can't collect from the other partner who doesn't owe the money. But if you've been in a relationship with somebody and that other... Other person has put everything on their credit cards, and it's been to the benefit of both of you. The person who's got the debt might realistically have a claim against the other person, saying, "Hey, you have got to keep me whole here. This is, this debt was incurred for both of us." Right. So there can be some implications of joint debt. Um, but I think even bigger than that, especially if you're amicable on the splitting of debt, it's just the cost of reestablishing yourself. You know, living as a single person is definitely more expensive. Yes. Um, you know, suddenly you've got to buy new furniture, you've got to get a new apartment, new damage deposit, maybe a vehicle. There's just a lot of extra costs that you hadn't planned on as you were a couple that you will start to have to pay if you're single now.
1: Yeah. And it's very, yeah. All of those things are very expensive depending on where you're living as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Falling through the cracks debt.
2: Yes. Yikes. So so our last category of stuff, stuff that, you know, maybe you forgot about, um, you know, uh, maybe you didn't take it too serious at the time here, but um, you know, usually it's the case, well, you put your name down years ago, you never thought it would happen and then suddenly it pops up. So the number one of these that I see is co-signed debts. Um, so we've talked a lot on this show. When is it smart to co-sign? Almost never, um, yeah. because it can and does come back to bite the individual.
1: And this goes back to, you know, you're wanting to help out, right? yeah. You're wanting to help somebody. They're, they're doing the right thing. They're, they're wanting to get back on track. They need some money to do that. And with your help, they can get the money, but there's, there's no upside to it. If they yeah. default.
2: No, exactly. And you know, most people, Think, okay, if I'm co signing, maybe it's 50 50. You know, if it's $5,000 loan, okay, I'd be on the hook for 2500 No, it's joint and several liabilities. So if it's a $5,000 loan and you co signed it, if the bank can't collect a dollar from the principal borrower, they will collect $5,000 from the guarantor. So you are signed to be responsible for the whole thing. Um, you'd have to be careful too if you signed early on to an open credit line, uh, you know, it was at a certain amount early on, but now it's escalated. You know, does your guarantee have a cap? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Usually it doesn't. So um, you may have some liabilities out there that you don't know about if you're on the hook for as a guarantor to someone else's account.
1: Yeah, man, that, yeah, scary. Because like I say, like go back, you're actually wanting to help somebody, give them a hand. And this seems like a very reasonable, responsible way to do it. Yeah, Especially if you have the ability to co-sign and you have of means that you can do that. Uh, And yeah, it's just (laughs) bad.
2: Yeah, as long as you do it with eyes wide open and, you know, maybe come in, have a meeting with a trustee and say, I'm thinking of co-signing this debt. What are the implications? And, you know, just walk through it. And if knowing all the facts, you still want to co-sign, that's great. Um, okay. But number of folks in my office who didn't know all the facts, didn't know the implications and regretted putting their name down. You know, it's not a small number.
1: Yeah, that's a good. Uh, good idea. Uh, MSP premiums.
2: Yeah. So this is going the way of the Dodo in BC, thank God, eventually. Um, it is too, but right? Yeah. But yeah, I've got clients you know who hadn't paid MSP for years and then suddenly they start to get their wages garnished or they start to get all these incessant collection calls. So um, MSP is something that you've got to keep up on. Again, the obligations is lower this year, getting eliminated, I believe, starting in 2019 or 2020. Um, so it's not something that in the future you're going to have to worry about. But as of now, no, if you're an adult in BC, there's an obligation to pay MSP. And if you think you're under the, under the radar or whatever, you're not. Eventually, they will send you a bill and require you to pay. They'll try to collect for all of those months.
1: And I would think that even uh, when the time comes that we no longer have to pay MSP premiums yep. and you still owe this huge amount of money, yep. you're still going to be-
2: Oh, they're not uh, writing that off.
1: They're not writing it no. off. No. So you can't say, oh, well, it's you know, it's going to disappear mm-hmm. anyway. That's yep. something I would think, but it's a dumb idea. Unfortunately. Yeah, they're going to come at, back. In. And student loans.
2: Yeah, with, with student loans. So um, again, you've just got to be careful that you're you're conscious of it. Um, make sure you've got a plan to pay it down um, and realize that student loans as a government creditor, they can still take a lot of actions against you. So all this speaks to talk to an expert. We'll run through all the types of debts and we'll, we'll ensure that you know you get on the right path.
1: Go see Blair at Sands & Associates. Here's their website, sands-trustee.com. Their phone number, is a 1-800 number, 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, this segment is all about ways to save money. Now, I know, don't yawn, because these tips aren't from Blair or from a book or stuff that I've figured out, but from real folks have had to deal with serious money issues and debt, whether it be bankruptcy or consumer proposals, regardless, they were in debt and they successfully got out of it. Uh, and I think this is a terrific segment for that reason. It's real it's real tips from from folks who have used them. Um, And Blair, you've had enough experience that you've gathered quite a few, which I think is just terrific.
2: Oh, definitely. And that's one of the the more gratifying parts of the job too, is seeing people go through that journey where sometimes in the first meeting, they're just completely hopeless. They think they'll never get out of debt. And we have a couple counseling sessions and they see, well, you know what, your life without these creditors calling can be totally different. And then just seeing the awakenings that some folks have Mm -hmm. about, you know, know, I can spend more time in nature and that's a lot less expensive. You know, I don't need to do this or that and I can save a few bucks a day and gee, I'm starting to put it away and I'm seeing that grow. Um, You know, money can be a source, you know, joy is a loaded term, but it can be a source of pride in your life rather than something that, you know, really drags you down all the time. And these are some of the tips that hopefully, you know, can help you get to that point.
1: Excellent. So first one on your list
2: set a realistic budget (laughs) yeah you know you can't say this this enough the best laid plans um, you know they're doomed to fail unless they're reasonable and we all know this from you know any type of fad diet that perhaps there's very few Mm -hmm. listeners that haven't tried you know if you really just try to suddenly restrict yourself down to a way that you had never lived before uh, it's just gonna be a matter of days or maybe weeks until you know you snap back because you just don't want to limit yourself as much and that's dieting budgeting works the exact same way so if you limit yourself too much it's gonna lead to you being stressed and And then when people get stressed, what do they do? Well, they spend impulsively. And then suddenly there goes your budget. Right. So what I suggest people do to, to develop a budget is first take a month and figure out exactly where the money goes now.
1: And I bet that's going to, if you haven't done this already, it's mm-hmm. going to be one of the hardest things yep. for you to do. Because yeah. I, I know it was for me and it was mind blowing at the end of the day when we looked at it and went, okay, Things aren't as bad as I thought they were, or Mm -hmm. maybe they are worse than what I thought they were, but it's such an eye-opener and I'm a big fan of reality.
2: Yeah. There's nobody that I've worked with that hasn't gotten at least one, maybe two real insights of, you know, how they're spending their money that's different from what they thought. Exactly. So, you know, the way to do this, you can do the high-tech or the low-tech approach. The low-tech is you can just get a little notebook. Uh, We've got them in our offices, you know, just basically daily planners, and there's enough room to write in, you know, here's what you spent your money on each day just by hand. Um, you know, the high-tech approach is there's various apps out there, Mint being one of them, which is a free app. And if you just paid for everything with your debit card, for example, you can link your debit card and every purchase that goes, the app is going to log it and it's going to ask you to categorize things. Okay. So, you know, whichever one works for you, maybe it's a generational thing, but spend a month and figure out what exactly is happening now. But then when you're doing your revised budget, don't assume it's a different world, you're a different person, things are going to be that mm-hmm. different, you know, adjust it reasonably. Um, you know, if you're spending a thousand dollars a month on one I and that you need to reduce, reduce that by a hundred dollars a month. Don't take it to five hundred because you're just not going to stick to it.
1: Fair enough. I like the ne- the next one: selling items that you no longer use.
2: Yeah. So a lot it's a good one. Of, it's basic, right? A lot of things, if you were to look around your house or your apartment, it might have brought you joy in the past, but maybe now it's just collecting dust and it's never been easier to move things like that. You know, whether it's Kijiji or Craigslist or even Facebook now, um, you know, Facebook's got its own marketplace as well. So at least, you know, the person you're dealing with, you know, you can see exactly their background too there, but there's so many different ways that something, again, maybe giving you no value, you might be able to get some money for Yeah. Now something that's definitely not... Nothing in my world here but designer bags. So if there's anybody out there, um, you know, these things do tend to hold their value. So you might have something, maybe it's a hand me down, if it's the right brand name, um, you know, that can quickly unlock a little bit of money for you.
1: Absolutely. If it's original, if it's in good shape, even if you don't like it anymore, somebody else will. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a really important one. Same with shoes. I've seen shoes on different sites. I think, I don't know if I'd buy shoes, but. Man, if they were brand new and you hadn't worn them and you bought them when you were in New York City and now they don't fit – well, yeah, maybe I'd take a look at that.
2: Oh, yeah, and there's a whole movement towards vintage, right? So it's exactly. not used; it's vintage. So exactly. I'm sure a lot of us have various vintage things around. That it's just a matter of connecting the right person. You know, even if you start to use eBay, well, that right person could be somewhere else in North America. You still might be able to get some money for those types of assets,
1: or just down the street.
2: Yeah, or just down the street. You're yeah, right. Yeah,
1: very cool. Yeah. Um, collections. I think this is a good idea because, mm-hmm. boy, oh, boy, if I could, if I could sell some of the collections of stuff that I have in the yeah. house, I would. They're not Not mine to sell, but if I could, I would.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's, you know, some things, you know, there's no value to anybody. It's sentimental and they'll continue to take up space. Uh, But, you know, for me, when I was a kid, I collected baseball cards. I was just going to say
1: baseball cards. Yeah.
2: And that would have been, you know, 91, 92. I remember I got complete sets for those years. If I look back, whose rookie cards do I have? You know, it's not going to be thousands of dollars, but there's a little bit of money there that if I wasn't getting any joy out of that collection anymore, I might be able to actually turn it into some funds.
1: I have uh, a large, bo- a good-sized box of metal dinky toys right. that go back to probably early 50s.
2: Yeah, and there are collectors for those.
1: Absolutely, yeah. there is. I, if I could just pry them out of my husband's <laughs> hands, <laughs> yes. I could sell them. Indeed. Uh, paintings, of course, uh, art, same thing if you've collected art or bought a little bit of art. Uh, there's always a market for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and appliances. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, lot, lots of different things, you know, a little kitchen appliance. Maybe you're not using a stand mixer or even a countertop dishwasher, you know, something yes. that maybe doesn't fit your space anymore. Again, just take a look around. If all it's doing is taking up space, you don't need to junk it. You can be environmentally friendly. and You can also get some money out of
1: it. Yeah. I like the fact that you included do-it-yourself stuff. Yeah, I'll let you explain that.
2: (laughs) Well, I think, you know, one of the the things that really touched me once was I I was speaking with a client and sometimes I have that discussion about, well, what do you do about Christmas? Right? So clients that come in, they can't spend a whole lot of money on, you know, Christmas gifts. Sure. Um, And I had a client explain to me that, you know, he really understood the spirit of Christmas when he went through a season where he actually, he couldn't afford to buy gifts, so he didn't. But what he did was he sat down and he wrote handwritten letters Mm -hmm. to everybody important in his life. You know, it was at least a page or two pages and the people in his life, they didn't remember the last time they got a letter nice. that was handwritten, we all type things, emails, texts. You sit down, you write something, put it in an email, buy the stamp. That person that gets that is going to value that far more than if you had, you know, just bought a trinket or something that you know didn't mean a whole lot to them. This is something that's special. Maybe sharing, you know, a memory, sharing what you think about the person, um, things like that. You know, definitely yeah. that'll be something that'll be cherished. Yeah. Um, you know, even from a cards point of view, yes. you know, instead of buying a birthday card for five or six bucks, um, you know, can you make it or can you download some clever meme or something? And just turn it into something humorous, and we've all we've all heard it. But really, the thought that goes into it is what's going to be rem- remembered more than the money that's spent.
1: And that's true today, as true today as it was yesterday. I think.
2: Yep. Yeah, it yep. hasn't run out. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I like the idea of a shopping list. I have to because I just can't remember th- this, <laughs> what I'm supposed to be getting. Yeah. Uh, but it's also a really good way to just, and I'm not a big fan of shopping, so it's good for me because it, it gets me in and gets me out, mm-hmm. but I also get everything that I need yeah. as opposed to the stuff I don't need.
2: Yeah. And, you know, how strict you go at this depends on, you know, whether there's some compulsions there or behavior that you really need to correct, uh, because we have some folks who come into our counseling sessions. And the reason they're in bankruptcy is because there's compulsive shopping or mm-hmm. addictions or different things like that, sure. uh, which shopping can be an addiction. So, yes. you know, part of the, the rehab, so to, say, so to speak, is, you know, you, you put them on a, a plan that, you know what, unless it's on your list, you don't buy it. Even if you think you need it, if it wasn't on the list, it's going to be on the next trip, just getting people to the point where they can focus on what's on the list because the list is made, you know, in a, in a situation with no distractions, you know, you're in a room by yourself writing it down. As soon as you get into the store, it's not a fair fight. You've right. got products screaming at you from every yeah. every aisle, various promotions. You know, you walk through any of the big retailers, they're trying to give you a credit card as you walk down the aisles there. So it's a matter of saying, you know, I'm going to use what I need to get out of this store based on my list, as opposed to letting the store dictate to me what I'm going to purchase.
1: Yeah, that's really good thinking. Um, and I sometimes think that people aren't uh, as aware as people Possibly they should be when they go into those retail outlets mm-hmm. when there is so much available and and like you say, so much sort of screaming at you to buy. Uh, yeah, it's a good way to become very aware of what's out there. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, and the last one, we've just got a few more seconds. I love this. Have a night in with friends.
2: Yeah, so, you know, the best times that I've had with my friends are typically not at a bar, not at a loud smoke-filled place where you can hardly hear anybody. Um, you know, you could set up a board games night, you could cook together, you can, you know, watch some cultural event together, whether it's the World Cup or something different. You know, a lot of times it's, it's who you're with, it's, it's what you're doing and the money that's spent, you know, it doesn't always add to it, it can just detract.
1: Yeah, excellent. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we've talked about or how to get a hold of Sands & Associates, check out the website sands-trustee.com. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com. That's their website. It's chock full of good information. Or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. On the line with us is Ian Fultz. And Ian, uh, was a, a client of Sands and Associates, which is, uh, terrific in that he has, uh, volunteered to share his story, uh, so that you know we that Sands and Associates helps real people with real situations, uh, get out of, and, and get out of the bad situation. So Ian, first of all, just thank you so much for joining us. So I guess the first question to get you started, can you tell us about the situation, uh, that you were in, that brought you to Sands & Associates.
3: Well, I had filed a bankruptcy way back in 2006, and I, seven years later, I got out of that. No problems. 2013, all good to go. Credit is, is good. I've got a decent job. Things are going well. I'm working in voiceover. I'm working on my projects. And then all of a sudden, the job that I had that was giving me the money to do the stuff I needed to do, well, suddenly that dried up. Oh, no. Hours were gone. And I, of course, and again, I couldn't believe it. Like, I, I did it again. I didn't save enough money mm-hmm. to prepare for such an, a, a thing. And then the creditors started calling, and then I got letters from the lawyers, and that was the worst one. That's what kind of, like, made me stress out.
2: Yeah, I wonder, Ian, can you go into a little bit, bit of detail? That, so what what was that like, you know, that the letters from the creditors and, and the phone calls, were they calling, you know, just a couple times a day, or was it, you know, pretty well incessant? Were they saying reasonable things or kind of going beyond the pale?
3: Yeah, that, there are so many things you said there. That <laughs> that's true. What yeah. happened? for of course, I'm getting calls daily. Right. In the morning, in the afternoon, at night, I'm trying to audition for voiceover, and suddenly I, the phone rings, and I'm like, oh. And I'm trying to do this on my own. Like I, I'm thinking, I can do this if I can get if I can get this gig, or if I can get that gig, or if I, you know, maybe get another job. You know, this one I'm not getting enough hours on. And I thought I could do it on my own. And that, the moment I got the letter from the lawyers about the credit card, mm-hmm. I went, okay, this is, this is too much. And then I started researching. One of the things uh, for me is, is I don't know everything but Google. Mm-hmm can help and <laughs> yeah and that's when i discovered consumer proposals
2: you just need to be careful if you've got a medical problem because everything you google with regards to your health seems to seems to lead with you're going to be gone in a couple days but but yeah, yeah pretty you, much. but you're right For, from a financial point of view yeah, so many of our clients they come in and they've done so much background research you know they're they're almost an expert at, to the point where they come in and say you know i want a consumer proposal i know all this this about the process so was was that your situation too you started to figure out about this solution
3: yeah, because I was first thinking, oh god, I have to go bankrupt again. Mm. And then when I looked into it, the the numbers just were like, oh no, that's because I had previously gone bankrupt because I lost my job and and lost my house and everything. Mm. Uh, it, and I thought, okay, I I cleaned myself up. Oh no, this is even worse. This is like five times worse. Mm. And I was I, I didn't know what to do. And then I heard consumer proposal, and I got into that, and like, oh. Well, you know, I, I, th- I might qualify for this. And it was such a an um, uplifting weight off my shoulders when I went into the office. Mm-hmm. And they said to me, okay, yeah, yeah, this is it. When I did the numbers, I thought it was going to be X amount. It was less than the X amount. And I was like, wow. And then I got to call the lawyers. That had sent me the letter.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's said, usually my job. you yeah, <laughs> Talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no, and and that's that's great. And so yeah, we'll, we'll go a little bit bit slow on a couple of things that you said there. But yeah, you know, the, the calling the lawyers, I can imagine you took some satisfaction out of that. And like you said, you say talk to Sands because they're they're involved, and that's exactly what our clients get to do. So I notify everybody that somebody owes money to. Um, but yeah, if they call again, or if you wanted to call them yourself as you did, that's fine too. You can say I'm fully protected and and talk to my trustee. Um, and you yeah. also hit on Ian that, yeah, if there has been a previous bankruptcy, um, the system is punitive. And I don't necessarily agree with it. In fact, I think it is a, a pretty tough, tough, punitive situation. Um, because if you had filed the first bankruptcy, it might have been over in nine months. Um, a second bankruptcy, the Shortest that could ever be is two years, twenty four months, and in most cases it's thirty six months. So that's you know four that's times. That's exactly as what long. I was looking at. Yeah, so nine months to thirty six months, um, and the the bigger thing too, and I have a lot of people really hit on this when they're deciding, you know, do I do bankruptcy again or do I do a consumer proposal? Is the credit rating impact? It's fourteen years if it's a second time bankruptcy.
3: Yeah, that was that's another factor too. That's huge, mm-hmm. and really affects the credit rating. And what what really shocked me uh, is is all the mistakes that I've made over the last 25 years have really impacted not only my my credit, but my ability to get a job even. Hmm. Uh, One time when I was in the military, uh, I lost uh, my credit rating because I didn't pay a credit card in time. And because of that, I was being uh, audited for my top secret clearance. And the next thing you know, they're like, yeah, we, we need you to make sure this thing is paid off. Otherwise, you're not getting your top secret clearance as a radio operator in the military. I was like, whoa, okay.
2: Wow, and this was so just for an un- unpaid amazing. credit card bill or cell phone bill or something like that, right? Yeah,
3: it yeah. can affect you. Yeah. It's huge. One and of the again, things... like, Yeah, I'm
1: sorry, keep go going, in. sorry.
3: Yeah, so one of the major things, uh, the funniest thing was, after I got the letter from the lawyers, after I talked to Sands & Associates, after I called those lawyers to let them know what's going on, I got another letter from them. Hey, <laughs> just just pay us half,
1: and we'll be, we'll be fine. And I. <laughs> oh. All right. Isn't that interesting? Hey. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um. So what did you, so what did you do then? Did you let Sands and Associates do the next correspondence with the lawyers, or did you?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's the next thing. That it, had, it had to be done that way because, as, as far as I was concerned, well, now they're they're representing all the creditors, not just that one credit card. Right. All the creditors that I had tra- debts with. And then I work through them to get the, to to solve the issues. And another interesting thing that happened with my particular case, one of them declined. Mm-hmm. And because of that, a, a, well, a year later, I'm like, I'm still getting phone calls from that one one person. I'm like, what's what's going on? And I found out that they had declined. So I'm like, I call them up. I'm like, sorry guys, you you had your chance. Mm-hmm. Bye, you know. Yeah, if they could get the money on, on their own.
1: Ian is super involved in his process, but n- but not everybody gets as involved as Ian does in, in their process and in a consumer proposal process. Do they, Blair? <laughs>
2: No, I'd, I'd say there, there's definitely a mix. You know, Some of my clients, again, they're, they know exactly what they want when they come in the door. They've almost organized the proposal for themselves. And then, yeah, anybody that calls them, they're fine to you know, have a quick chat with. Um, but yeah, most of the time, that's all of our job. So, um, Ian, when you hit on that one person said no to the proposal, I love that as the power of the proposal is all I need is 50% by dollar value of the creditors to say yes. And as soon as we get that, it doesn't matter if it's the government that said no, if it's you know uh, a family debt, if it's anybody else, as long as I've got 50% of your creditors that say yes you don't have to deal with that debt at all. It's legally bound as part of the proposal. Um, so I know when you spoke to them and they, and they kept calling, they, they eventually had to stop. And, you know, I get calls regularly, oh, this collector won't back off. I'm like, well, you give me his name and his phone number and I'm going to stop it within the day because this is violating federal law. There's no gray area here. They're not allowed to call once a proposal has been filed.
1: And I want to add too, uh, and we're, then we'll get back to your story, Ian, um, the legally bound part. Now you say that, and you, Blair, and you say it so easily it just kind of rolls out. Mm-hmm. But that's the, the most significant piece about dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee is that that you guys are federally regulated and you're you're given this power and permission to do this work on behalf of a client and people have to pay attention to that.
2: Yeah. No, that that's well said, Elaine. Yeah. Ian, I wonder if you're comfortable sharing any, you know, whether it's the percentage of debt that you paid back or like the multi- monthly payment you were doing in the proposal compared to what they wanted you to pay in all of your minimum payments, because usually I find that that's a pretty positive moment in the meeting with, with someone who comes in to see me if they don't know what a proposal payment is going to be. And I say, well, you know, you're probably paying a $1,000 just in interest. Your proposal payment can be 200 or $250. Um, you know, sometimes they come across the table, they're they're so happy. So I wonder what was that situation like for you? What were the numbers like if you're comfortable to give us a ballpark?
3: Well, I am a numbers man. I love numbers. <laughs> yep. Numbers are awesome. Yeah, and the, and the, the relief, the sh- the shock. Okay, well, at first I did the numbers myself, and I figured, oh, okay, I'll reduce my my debt payments from six hundred a month to two hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, the main reason why I was like, I, I could have kept going if I kept having the right income. But mm-hmm. since I lost all that income, it was just, it, I, there's no, nothing else I could do. I had to do this. In fact, when I approached Sands & Associates, I was just getting a job uh, recently with uh, Coca-Cola. And if it wasn't for me getting that job, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in today. Mm-hmm. And the numbers are pretty simple. 600 bucks a month down to 175
2: Wow. That's and that's,
3: that's it for the And I'm almost done. I got like two years, less than two years to go. And mm-hmm. I'm putting, I'm actually putting more than 175 down. That's another thing. You can add more money. If you got the money, you can put it more onto it and get this thing done quicker.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's a great point, Ian. I'd say the majority of my clients, you know, a proposal, we might set it for five years, but I have people coming in all the time saying, I was able to work extra shifts or I got a tax refund or something, and they either put down extra payments to take a break or they just try to finish it off sooner because then you can rebuild your credit more quickly. But yeah, looking at, you said, I think over $600 a month, the minimum payments, and the proposal at 175 Yeah, that's right on that, you know, usually right around a third or so. It, it really is, those are good numbers.
1: So, Ian. Yeah. And I was, yes. Yeah, no,
3: go ahead. Sorry. And now the, the the big the, the biggest thing was the weight off the shoulders uh, the the number one I cannot forget this is the lawyers sending me that letter that scared me it's like whoa they're really pushing and I, I need to I need to solve this on my end, and the only way I could find out was was through consumer proposal
1: so Ian at the end, so so now that you're in this place of uh, paying 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 this debt with a consumer proposal what has changed for you? Because you've sort of been in two situations now. How have you changed your attitude or are you doing things differently when it comes to your finances? And before you answer that question, I just want to add, you know, when you when we started talking to you, you said, you know, I didn't have enough money saved in order to um, cushion myself because I lost this job. Uh, so many people, are in the exact same position as you. And so I I just don't want you to feel bad for one second because, oh my gosh, uh, the the numbers of people who are in the exact same position as you that don't have that safety net or that piggy bank full to carry them over for a few months is enormous. So I, I wanted to say that. But, but go back to the uh, attitudes and things. How are you looking at things differently or what are you doing differently now?
3: Well, one of the biggest things is budgeting myself. So I figured out exactly how much I need to uh, pay out in a month and I'm making sure I'm, I'm working the hours that I need, and I'm getting the the, the gigs that I luckily can get for voiceover. Uh, one of the big ones was uh, I got a, an anime gig. I was working on a Japanese anime, and I took all that money, and I put it aside. It, I don't touch right. it. <laughs> it's not <Right>. mine. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. uh,
3: it's, it's part of my savings. And then I start paying myself from the, the work that I'm doing now. I give myself 10% of my net income every two weeks. I throw that in another account I can't I can't touch unless I absolutely need it. And that's the biggest change in my life, is being able to pay myself first, then pay everybody else.
1: Ian, we're going to wrap up right now. I just want to say, if any of this information is resonating with with our listener, uh, go to Sands and Associates, their website. It's sands-trustee.com, or give them a call, 1-800-661-3030, and get that free consultation and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us right now is Sarah Forte. Uh, She's a labor and employment lawyer and founder of Forte Law. We're so happy to have you on the show, Sarah. Thanks, Elaine. Um, So this segment is called Pitfalls in Employment Law. Um, And I'll just start it off, if that's okay, Blair. Of course. From an employee perspective... Uh, what are the key pitfalls or mistakes that people make when dealing with the legal terms of their
0: employment? That's a fantastic question, Elaine. I'm Thank you. So to, <laughs> I'm so happy to be on your show and, and be able to sort of air all my pet peeves. And, and you know, you see themes when you deal with the same uh, issues over and over again. I'm so happy to be able to provide some education out to the public on these things.
1: As we are happy um, to have you.
0: Yeah. So here's my number one Uh, Number one uh, pet peeve that I'm happy to give some free advice to everyone who is listening and and that's about the importance of reading contracts or policies before signing off on them. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say this is especially true for employment offers or contracts. Now, those get presented in two different ways. Sometimes they get presented to you before you join a company. So they send an offer. Um, Sometimes that offer has quite a bit of detail. Sometimes, I mean, I've seen up to 10 or 20-page contracts come through uh, at that stage, and and folks are being asked to sign off on them. Sometimes they're not being given a lot of time, uh, so we're, we're really anxious for you to come in and start, and so we're sending you this stack of documents that we really need you to return tomorrow so you can start work on Monday. Sounds mm-hmm. great, right, right? Yep. Uh, and that's a lot of pressure to comply with that, um, but I always suggest... Take the time you need to review them. Even if you need to ask for more time, uh, you should make sure that you do that. Um, many, many people do not read or read but do not are not able to understand the, the contracts that they're being provided, uh, and that's really important. Um, the other time employment contracts get offered is, is sometimes even during employment. Sometimes there'll have been a change, like a change in ownership of the company or a change in position or... Or sometimes just an administrative cleanup the company's doing and they're, they're putting in new contracts. And, and again, you're, you're, as an employee, presented with this contract. And a contract is, is always an offer. It, it's not a done deal. You, you aren't forced to accept it. it. It's an offer for you to read and accept. So if you take that offer and accept it, whether you've read it or not, um, you're then going to be bound by those terms in most cases. So really important to read those contracts um, I often see contracts come up at the end of employment after people have been let go and are coming to me for advice about severance. And I say, well, but do you have an employment contract? You know, that's the first thing I, I ask for and I need to read. And oftentimes people are quite surprised at what they've signed. Uh, and at that point it's too late to negotiate that.
2: And Sarah, I feel like people make the assumption, you know, it's, it's such a happy time, okay, you're being offered the position, and I feel like the words, you no, know, well, these are our standard terms, or, you know, this is just something, I'll just review it and, and sign. I think people make the assumption that these are non-negotiable, and if they try to negotiate, um, you know, they risk jeopardizing, you know, the position or, or their perception in their employer's mind. Um, how do you just talk somebody through a situation like
0: that? Yeah, that's a really great point, Blair, and I get that question a lot. Um, and, and I think there's two perspectives to that. One is, some in some situations, things, terms are truly non-negotiable. And in that case, at least you have been able to read them and understand them and know what you're signing. So you're going in eyes wide open um, as opposed to not reading it, signing it, and and being surprised by things later. And I'll give you a really good example of that, and that's a non-solicitation or non-competition clause. Sometimes they're called non-competes. And those continue on even after you've left employment. And so if you're going in with this sort of honeymoon, rose-colored glasses, um, thinking everything's going to be great, and it, it falls apart sort of in short order, or you decide to move in a different direction, you could have these kinds of terms following you around for some time afterwards. So even if they're not negotiable, important to read and sign and know what it is you're signing up for. Um, but oftentimes, they are negotiable. And I, my experience is people generally underestimate how much bargaining power they have, and um, in the labor market currently, it's a very hot labor market. I know I'm trying to hire a lawyer, and, and it's hard to find people. Everybody's got jobs. And so um, I think often people have more negotiating power than they think. And what's important is to approach the negotiation respectfully, positively, and strategically. Uh, and I love that. One of my favorite projects is working with people um, to develop a strategy on identifying what their bargaining power is and figuring out what the best way is to negotiate. Um, You can get a huge amount of bang for your buck with that because even a small increase in compensation, if you can get that at the beginning, it then compounds because it Mm -hmm. continues for years after that. So it's really good value.
1: One of the things that I thought of when you were talking, Sarah, is I remember working for a company. uh, I got the job. I was happy about it. I was happy with all the terms of it. And then they gave me what they called an employee handbook. And I started reading this thing, and and it also had to be signed off. So when I started reading the rules and the regulations and all of that that came with the job, it shocked me. Because, first of all, I'd never had anything like that. I'd never had to sign anything like that before. And I was just wondering, as you were talking, is, is that kind of um, a standard practice for employers? Um, maybe not today, but... In the past or in the future, where they where they give new a pers- uh, new people that have signed on, and have agreed to come to work for them, and then have this big uh, document that they have to sign off on, and it's not called an employee contract, but an employee handbook.
0: Right, that's a really great question. There's a key difference at law between a contract uh, and and a policy. So a contract is something, as I said, that both parties have to agree to. So as the employer, I'm offering it to you, Elaine, and you have the option of saying yes, saying no, or trying to negotiate some changes um, to that. A, a policy, which is what a handbook is comprised of a bunch of policies, is quite different because I'm not offering that to you. I'm not saying, hey, here's what we'd like. Here's the rules that we'd like to offer you. Are you prepared to agree to those? Because the employer has the right to to make workplace rules. Um, So they're quite different fundamentally. I would say a handbook, typically the sign-off should say something like, you've reviewed them and understood them.
1: Mm, Fair enough. And
0: and again, this is where I get back to my key tip of read things. It's important to read things. Even if it's long and intimidating, it's worth your time because, boy, it would be unfortunate for you to not be aware of some of the employer's expectations and inadvertently maybe do something that is really unacceptable at that workplace. Because as you said, Elaine, you've never seen anything like this before. Maybe you hadn't worked in a workplace that had that, that degree of expectations and regulation. And so if you hadn't read those policies, you might violate them without even knowing it.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, I totally did. <laughs>
0: and others did around me
1: as well. Uh, small things, small things, but, uh, and it all had to do with social media, but they were strictly forbidden. And I was shocked. I thought, okay, we're, we're breaking rules here, people. Somebody needs to be paying attention to this.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, and I think, again, one of my, one of my key pitfalls that I, I wanted to raise during this session is, is about code of, sorry, code of conduct policies or conflict of interest. So read all the policies, especially if you get presented in a handbook that needs to be signed off. But a couple of key ones are a code of conduct, if they have one, and conflict of interest policies, because um, those ones, there's lots of legal disputes that arise around those issues. And it's really important to know what your employer's expectations are, Around those types of things.
1: Now we've only got just a few seconds left in this. Um, is there is there a place? I, well, first of all, I want to mention your website ForteLaw.ca. So F O R T E Law.ca, and you've also got a blog there uh, or a, a link to your blog. Uh, so so much more information is covered there. I'm going to assume, right, Sarah, that we've talked about and and sort of more in absolutely, depth.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm never tell people. If you're wondering about your legal rights, Google it, um, because you can get all sorts of information, much of which is is not very reliable or accurate. Happy to point folks to my blog. I try to put out a variety of posts in plain English on topics like this that frequently come up. Um, And the other places I would point people to is the government has websites associated with the various legislating bodies. So the Employment Standards Branch um, website the WorkSafeBC website and the BC Human Rights Tribunal website. Um, In those cases, you're going direct to the source to get information about laws in BC that impact workers.
1: That's excellent advice. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Dollars and Cents.
0: The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.